Hello and welcome to Make Money and Stick It to the Man. And today we bid a fond farewell to a Money Week legend. John Stepek, long-time editor of Money Week, is leaving, and I've known for a while, but his final day is Friday the 5th of August. Uh, his leaving drinks are tonight. The implications are just sinking in. I first started writing for Money Week in 2006, which means John has been my editor for 16 years. Week in and week out, he's had to plough through my twaddle. And I reckon I've written at least 800 money mornings in that time, one morning, money morning per week for 16 years, though the figure's probably closer to 1,000 as I've often written two per week, plus the stuff I've written for the main mag. Each Monday morning averages about a thousand words, often more, so I make that close to a million words of mine that John has read, suffered and edited. What a saint. I've been racking my brains as to a memorable and suitable present to buy him to say thank you, and then it came to me, what more appropriate way of expressing my gratitude than through a Monday morning itself. For all our plans, for all the best-laid schemes of mice and men, life has a habit of taking the accidental route, and so it was with my relationship with John, although it never went gang after glee. Now, if John was editing this, he would demand that I explain that Scottish poet, that Scottish poet Robbie, Robbie Burns reference, and I would say everyone knows the quote, we don't need to explain it. John would insist we do, and in order not to patronise those that do know it, I would then find a way of explaining that gaffed after glay means go wrong without overtly looking like I'm explaining it. The result would be something along the lines of what you've just heard. You now know, if you're any doubt, that the best laid schemes of mice and men, gang after glee, is a quote by Scottish poet Robbie Burns, meaning every good plan goes wrong. Even good plans go wrong, I should say. But you don't feel patronised because I've explained it while apparently talking about something else. I learned how to do that through working with John. In Money Week, of course, what usually needs explaining isn't a great Scottish poet, but some incomprehensible financial or mining jargon. Back to the point. My relationship with John and Money Week all happened by accident. Back in 2006, I was a jobbing comedian, voiceover artist. I'd made a bit of money and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. Specifically, I was trying to figure out how to turn the pot I had into three or five million quid in order that I could make the musical Kisses on a Postcard happen. I didn't entirely trust the fund managers I'd met to achieve the unrealistic and astronomical multiples I was hoping for, so I started a podcast and began interviewing all these clever people I saw talking on the internet, Jim Rogers, Jim Dines, James Turk, to see if I could figure out a plan. The show was called Commodity Watch Radio because commodities and gold in particular seem the root, and Commodity Watch Radio would eventually become this podcast that you're listening to now. And one of the people that I interviewed was Merrin, who said... Did I want to write a newsletter about commodities? That's Merrin Somerset Webb, then the editor of Money Week. And I said, I wasn't sure I was equipped to do that. She said, come into the office, have a chat. In I went to meet Merrin and the, the then MD Toby Bray. There was also some quiet bloke in the corner, John Stepek. And we agreed that thrusting me into a newsletter might be a little premature, but John had started this daily email, Money Morning, and perhaps I could start writing, say, one per week, and then we'd see how it goes and take it from there. Fine. I agreed. Here we are, 16 years on, and it's still going. A temporary plan became permanent. A bit like income tax. Clarity has always been one of John's priorities, but also um, neutrality 
You're great on the financial stuff and the macro stuff, Dominic, but when you get onto politics, you get ranty, John used to say. You confirm the biases of those who agree with you, you annoy those who don't, and you alienate the undecided, he once said. That expression has always stayed with me. Alienate the undecided. In today's polarised worlds, if you want notoriety, it pays to be an Owen Jones or a Tucker Carlson. But that was never measured John's priority, nor is it Money Week, the, the Money Week way, which aims to stay broadly neutral on politics. John has always edited my stuff quickly and well, but he's never been precious about his edits. I, on the other hand, am a control freak, and John has let that be. He doesn't seem to mind me re-editing his edits. Edits, no control freak he. And the resulting compromise has almost invariably been a better piece. I've learnt so much about writing in our time together. I always wanted to be a writer. I went to drama school because all the best writers started out as actors. But bizarrely, it wasn't the entertainment industry that ever gave me the break. It was finance, Money Week, Marion Somerset Webb and John Stepek. I've since written three books, several films and endless content, as you probably know. And here's the bizarre thing. In all that time, I'd say I have met John in person fewer than ten times. Our entire relationship, one of the most successful professional relationships of my life, has been conducted almost entirely by email. Occasionally we speak on the phone, but rarely. Who says, in this new age of digital nomadery, we actually need to meet the people we work for? We don't. John must get more emails than Gary Lineker does complaints, and yet throughout all of that time, he's always replied to me promptly and thoroughly. It sounds trivial, but I've had book editors who don't reply to emails, and it is a blooming nightmare. Communication breaks down. I usually reply to emails quickly as well, and that's been key to our success. I once heard Merrin describe John as her rock, and he really has been that to the entire Money Week operation, a pillar of quiet consistency, happy for those he edits to get the praise and the glory while he quietly gets on with it. He can be strong and stubborn when he needs to, but he's also been very much live and let live, tolerant of his contributors' eccentricities and idiosyncrasies. Tricities and idiosyncrasies, sorry, I did a typo. Embracing of them, even. In all that time, we've never had a falling out. In fact, I can only recall one angry word. I'd been trying to write a hugely witty debunk of some nonsense from Nouriel Rabini on gold in, in the same 10-point format of Rabini's original article, but I couldn't write it to the 10-point Rabini template. We obviously think differently, with the net result that the article I submitted was both late and unpublishable. It meant John had to write a last-minute replacement when he had better things to be doing, such as getting that magazine's that week's magazine to print. No wonder he had the hump. I've spent this entire article praising John as an editor, and I haven't even given got to his writing talents. And yet they are what his new employer has signed him up for. John, thank you so much for everything. I'll be forever grateful. I wish you the very best of success in your new job, and you will, I've no doubt, have it, because fortune favours the prepared. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with another podcast very soon.